title this morning, there is one way, only one way, to follow God. You may wonder what that way is. In the New Testament sense, that is through his son, uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, today, uh, we will uh, make connections to Jesus, and we will get there. We'll see how we can understand Jesus in this passage. Uh, but what we want to do today is we will see how Abram communicates uh, with God, uh, rather how God communicates with Abram, and this is an exaltation of God. If you love God, and you just ponder who he is sometimes, you're, you're sitting, uh, daydreaming perhaps, don't do that too long, I don't want you to get fired, uh, but if, as you're pondering, as you think about who God is in your quiet moments, this is a type of passage that elevates God. We must see God as so much bigger than ourselves, and trust and be willing to follow him. That's a theme that will run throughout our morning this morning. So I want to show a hands as we begin this morning. Has anybody ever uh, put something together that came with instructions? Okay, now I'm not going to be interviewing you about how you perform uh, in this task. Sometimes it can be very frustrating. Now, uh, I'm one of the guys that when I get the, the, the item and it has the instructions, I'm assuming that there's one way to do this and it's the way that somebody has thought through how to communicate with the instructions. Well, a little over a year ago, uh, we got a new grill. It was that time in, in our family's life. And uh, we go to put this thing together. And whenever uh, I'm done with these things, and I work with my wife on it, we're still married. <laughs> we made it, all right? We, we did this. And, but I will tell you that in the instructions for this grill, it was, at one point, it was not correct. You remember this? It was out of order, and they had us uh, putting together one piece, and it was not the right thing. So then we saw the instruction. No, we have to go back, because the next instruction is actually back a couple, and we've already put this thing on, so we had to take it apart. And I'm sitting there scratching my head going, there should be one way to do this. You should have it right. You should have thought about that. Whoever put these instructions together, all you did was set me up for failure. And repentance. Now, when I get mad at this stupid thing, I'm shaking the instructions. So come on. So what I want to show you this morning is God is not that way. Uh, God is not going to leave us hanging or get us uh, out in front of where we need to be or behind where we need to be. Uh, he has it lined up, and there is, uh, there is one way to get our souls exactly right with God. We'll take you back to Genesis 15 and verse 6. This is the first time we see somebody getting their soul right with God in Scripture. He believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. That's Abram. Uh, believed the Lord and counted it to him as righteousness. Is God so big in our estimation, in our imagination, in our understanding of the Scripture that we are dwarfed and we need to be right with him and trust him and follow him? I hope the answer to that is yes. Uh, our passage today, uh, as Derek read for us, will show us that uh, from start to finish. So a few things this morning about uh, God's way, which makes him bigger and causes us to trust him. So the very first thing uh, that happens in God's way is it prevents us from getting the credit. It'd be a little bit of a catch up for those of you who were unable to be here uh, last week. Uh, the point of, of following God's leading in our lives is, is exactly that. It's following. It's saying we are not in the lead. We need someone to lead us and uh, that we follow. We want to remember the, 
promises that God gave to Abram in Genesis 12 and 1 through 3. Go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Now, there's good things that are happening for Abram and for, for the humans involved and connected to him, but the glory goes to God. Uh, as we uh, read in chapter 14, we saw that Abram was victorious. He went after his nephew Lot, he rescued him, and when he came back, he was presented with a dilemma, a moral dilemma. The king of Sodom, if you'll remember, he came out and uh, wanted to make an agreement uh, with Abram that would have uh, made all the humans in the story feel really good about themselves and perhaps gotten some power uh, for the king of Sodom himself. Well, Abram saw through that. He didn't want anything to do with that. He went with Melchizedek, king of Salem, a, an amazing biblical character. And uh, he said, no, I'm going to bless the Lord because he's the one who owns all. And he worshiped God. And so in that sense, Abram says, I'll bless the Lord. He gave uh, Melchizedek an offering of a tenth. And uh, God is the one who gets the glory. And so when we are truly following God as Abram is in this story, uh, there are things that are going to happen uh, that will lift God up and will cause us to remember that we deserve uh, none of the credit. It made me think of the first verse there in Galatians chapter 1. Uh, Paul writes this, uh, this to me is a great way to understand the whole book of Galatians. Through man, right? Not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Powerful, not through us, but through Jesus. Not for a person's glory, but for God's glory. And so God's way, uh, following his way, is always that way in that he is lifted up and we are lowered uh, before him so he gets the glory. All right, second, uh, as we get a little bit more specifically into our passage today, God's way shows that he knows more than we do. We have to admit in our lives, as part of our spiritual journeys, we have to admit that God knows more than we do. In some ways, this is really simple. Like, I don't want to be the creator of the universe. I don't want the responsibility to do that. I'm not able to do that. I can't handle that. Uh, there's no way that, that I'm built for that responsibility. God is. He knows how to do all that, and I don't have to take that responsibility from him. So in some ways, it's simple to think that way. But I really want to challenge you uh, today to the depth of who you are. Do you see who God is in passages like we've been studying with Abram's character? I want to challenge you to think about the God that you follow, the God that you say you believe, the God that you trust. I want to ask you this morning, is that God capable of making an announcement to a wandering servant in roughly 2000 BC and then keeping that promise roughly 600 years later. Is the God that you trust capable of doing that? Is the God that you say you believe capable in history, in a point in time, of making a prediction to a wandering servant and then fulfilling that prediction about 600 years later? Because if that's not the type of God you believe, then you are at odds with what was just read for us from the book of Genesis. 
I want to go back and I want to summarize this. Uh, for those of you who know Exodus, this is a foreshadowing of what would happen. Okay, the sun went down, verse 12, a deep sleep fell on Abram. You can follow along if you still have your Bibles open or you still scrolled there. All right, behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And look at what God is communicating to Abram at the beginning of this deep sleep vision. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Exactly the picture that we see in Exodus when the Israelites, Abram's offspring, when they are stuck in Egypt, the amount of time that passes is 400 years. God is giving specifics. He says, I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Wow. Does God know enough to make a prediction like that, to put a man in a deep sleep and to say, this is what's going to happen in the future from this time? Here's God's word. I'm going to flip over here to Exodus 11. Speak now and hear your people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. This is a command. Ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. Let's look in Exodus 12, the next chapter. Let's look in 35 and 36. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. Verse 36 and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. At the right time, this prophecy in Genesis 15 fulfilled. It said in verse 14, they shall come out with great possessions. And what did we just read in Exodus? They came out with great possessions. Wow. That's amazing that God, on the right timeline, in the future, knew that those people would go through that. And he put Abram in a sleep to give him this vision so that it would be recorded that this is the God of the Bible. This is the God that we worship. This is the God that we say we believe. This is the God we trust. And you know what? He knows more than we do. And I'm glad for that. He is a God capable of of making and keeping promises. What is our goal today? To see God is greater than we are and to trust his promises. Okay, so let's get into the nature of these promises. What happens is God's word and his truth elevates him as the promise keeper. All right, quiz time. Who do I keep telling you that the entire Bible is about? Right. All right. Even if you weren't paying attention, you're kind of startled when I said quiz time. Usually at church you can say Jesus. 
and you're close. Well, God made that one really easy. Jesus is the center of the Bible. Jesus, the center of Genesis. Just a couple examples. In Genesis 1, we know that Jesus was present at creation. The New Testament tells us that. He affirmed male and female. He affirmed marriage uh, in uh, chapter 2. So we know that Jesus affirms those things. Those are the New Testament connections. Genesis 3, the leaves were not good enough to cover Adam and Eve for their sin. There needed to be a blood sacrifice. Animals had to die, and animal skins cover Adam and Eve, foreshadowing Jesus and his sacrificial death. Genesis 5, a chapter all about death, all about genealogy, those who were dying uh, from generation to generation and a remembrance of who they were, but one in that chapter didn't die, pointing to the resurrection. Genesis 6 through 8, the flood. Jesus is a judge. God is a judge. He's able to judge people, but there was still one way to be saved. And that was to be on the ark, a foreshadowing of Jesus, who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. We'll get to that a little bit later today. There's other examples uh, of this, but those are a few highlights. And here is no different in Genesis 15. God is telling Abram that his promises are to be trusted. Now, what is the first thing that we saw Abram do uh, last week uh, when God reminded him of the promise? Right? Fear not, verse 2, or excuse me, verse 1 of chapter 15. Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. Uh, verse 2, Abram, he begins to complain. He's like, I'm childless. Who's going to be my heir? This guy in my household? Uh, what's going to happen? And we, we looked at that whole idea that sometimes we, when we don't know exactly where God is going, we have to trust. I put this uh, picture up there. Remember this picture? Who is this new? Who's new to this picture? Who wasn't here last week? Go ahead. It's all right. I'm not going to shame you. All right. I'm glad. Oh, here's here's what I mean by this picture. Okay. Uh, this on a recent hiking trip of ours. This is called a trail. <laughs> That's no trail. All right. That's just a bunch of rocks. But you see in the middle there, there's this little blue paint, and that's how they marked the trails. Every time you got past one little thing of blue paint, you had to look for the next thing of blue paint. But my point is you can walk this trail a hundred times and not ever take really the same route. You're always going to maybe go a little bit of a different way or step in a different place. And, and this is how we understand God's promises. Abram gets all wound up. He's not sure how things are going to happen, and he begins to question God. Well, whereas we want a nice matted down trail with nothing to trip on. We want uh, plenty of mulch and all kinds of stuff. No, no logs in the way or anything that might hurt us. Um, this is more of the way it is in, in following God. And we see Abram take it this way. He doesn't understand what's happening. Every once in a while we'll get God who comes and he'll remind us of a promise that he made. And that's our little blue marker. And we'll go for that. Even if it's just for a day, I'll go for an hour. I'll go for that. I'm being really tempted right now. I'm going to have to get in here and fight this. I'll just go for the next blue marker. I'll go for the promise I know that Jesus is with me. And that may be from minute to minute or hour to hour, day to day. And that's the way that it goes. Now, what does this have to do with God keeping his promises and, and God being elevated as a promise keeper? Well, I want us to see in the imagery of these promises that Abram is still going to have questions. He's not done questioning in chapter 15. There will be more to come in August as we get back into this, and we'll see Abram uh, 
struggling at times, still trying to figure this out, even though he has faith. This should encourage us. All right, so God making promises. I don't know if you uh, paid attention last week or if you read through this whole thing, but there are uh, different types of animals that are used in this scene. This is, this is one of the most amazing scenes, in my opinion. It'll scratch our head because we're not used to this. Uh, he took a heifer, a goat, a ram, a dove, and some pigeons. And uh, what he did uh, with the first three animals is he cut them and he spread them out so like there's a path. And the others, uh, the birds, he didn't cut. But let's just think about those animals for a minute. All right, this is not uh, word for word in here, but, but a heifer, an animal completely submitted to its master's will, a goat scripturally seen as a sin offering, a ram used in uh, the consecration of the priests, and doves and pigeons are both creatures of the air. We know Jesus was heavenly. All five of these, in one way or another, foreshadow Christ. God making promises to Abram that connect to Jesus, who we believe the Bible is all about. Well, what does all this mean about God being the one to keep the promises? Well, when two parties in their culture needed to make an agreement, they would do this. They would take the animals, they would sacrifice the animals, they would cut them in half, and they would put them on different places. And then what would happen is the two people making an agreement would walk through uh, this, this path that has been created with the, the sacrificed animals cut up on either side. And what it symbolized was that uh, there was a division, there was a need to, uh, or two different ways of doing things, there was a need to make an agreement. And so what would happen is they, they would both come down through here, and on either side of them is the reminder of blood, which in, 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 in uh, actuality for them and in certainty was not a, it was not a threat, it was a reality that if you break this covenant, there will be blood on you. It's that serious, the disagreement that we're making. And so there was a, a penalty if you broke the covenant that you would die, just like the animals who are present at this. Now, this sounds really weird to us. We don't do this these days. But I want you to see how God is elevated here as the promise keeper. You might think that God, in explaining all this to Abram, would say, okay, Abram, why don't you join with me and we'll go down this path together since I'm the one making the covenant with you. That would have made sense to the readers of this document. They would have known about that culture or people who were hearing about this orally before it got written down. They would have said, yes, that makes sense. I know that Chaldean custom. I know that. And I get it. But that's not what happens here. Here's how God is elevated. Verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. Can you imagine being Abram and you're in this vision and you see uh, what happens and you've got these animals arranged, and you've done your job, and the birds of prey come, and you shoot them off, and you're trying to protect this, and you're, you're ready to maybe go and walk down this thing, and, and there's this big smoking fire pot and flaming torch. Well, I'm not going to overdo this. That's God. <laughs> okay? We'll just make that very simple. Uh, no one reading this would question that that is God showing up, and what happens? The smoking fire pot and the flaming torch passed between the pieces. 
is the God that you worship? Does our God need our works to affirm his ability to make and keep a promise with us? No, he does not. That's why God goes in between the pieces himself in an image of great majesty, an image of smoke and fire. Not a little kitty cat. Oh, how cute. No, this is God in his glory, his ability to refine. We see that image of the fire throughout scripture. He's able to do that work, and here's that image right now showing that's who he is. Friends, that's just how it is with Jesus. Yes, we're to obey. Yes, we're to seek the word of God and try to transform it and become like that. But even then, the Bible tells us that God himself is the one who helps our obedience. He's the one who puts the Holy Spirit into our hearts and into our physical bodies that we may, over time, become like him. And so just as, as Abram does not participate in the covenant Neither do we participate in God making the sacrifice for sin. That's Jesus. He's the one who participates in majesty and in glory. It seems so weak to the world that our Savior hung on a cross and died. But for us, it's righteous and it's holy and it's worthy of glory because he dies in our place. He takes care of the promise. We respond in faith the same equation that we see in Genesis 15. This elevates God as the promise keeper. Look here in Matthew 16 and 21. This is a prediction that Jesus made several times. Basically, he's predicting here that he would be killed and suffer and rise again. And his disciples immediately didn't understand this. But it made me think in preparing for this, this is just one of many promises I could have picked that God made and fulfilled, but do I do I want to worship a God who can't make and fulfill promises? I sure don't. I'm glad that our God makes and fulfills promises. I'm glad that he knows more than I do. I'm glad that he is elevated as the promise keeper because you know what? Sometimes even as hard as I try to be faithful and to be loving, I mess up or I let my anger get in the way or I say something to somebody that I later have to go back and apologize because I didn't I didn't say that right or I was in a, just in a, a wrong spirit and I made a comment I need to fix. Right? We can all identify with those weaknesses that we have, but this elevates who God is. He's able to promise and he's able to keep and he loves us to forgive. That promise is sure. If you're doubting that, whether Jesus loves you enough to forgive you, don't. The same God that walked through the pieces in the smoking flaming thing is the same God who meets you and is able to forgive you and love you because of Jesus. We elevate him. We lower ourselves and we walk in faith. One way to follow God. Finally today as we close, it reminds us who owns everything. All these names, I'm not going to try to repeat it. <laughs> All right, I'll have to try to repeat. You did great, Derek. I'll let you have it for today. But if you're still there, you look down at those places, those are real places. There's no history student that says none of this ever existed. Those are real peoples. 
This is a real thing. It reminds us that God knows the land. We're going to get into this. This is a little bit of foreshadowing. I'm not going to do it all today. But in, in the future, in these next several chapters, we're going to see more about the promise for the land. And it's not just a temporary promise. We're going to really have to get in here and struggle because God makes for Abram an everlasting covenant that has to do with that land. And it doesn't just start in Genesis 12. It starts before that. 10 and 11, the table of nations, and the way we see the genealogies lay out, it's about the promise for the land. It's one of the core things that happens, but it reminds us that God is the one that's in charge of it. I have a burden for my city, and my county, and the place where I live. I love the people in Summit County, Ohio. I love the church of Jesus in Summit County, Ohio. But, and I hope that's true for you. But we can't make the mistake of thinking we're the only ones who know about it. We can't make the mistake of thinking that God doesn't know the world better than cable news. He knows. And he owns it all. And he's made promises that guide and direct and dictate. That's who God is. We don't have to sit here and be unsure about things. Wondering what's going to happen. God will work. He will do what he's going to do. He will fulfilled purposes, and he will use us. He tells us that, and so we should be encouraged to know that as we see here that God, in this time period, and in this geography, and with these people groups, he speaks over them. This also speaks to his role of judge. Uh, maybe you scratched your head in, in 16. They shall come back here in the fourth generation. This is when, in the future, the Israelites would come back to the land. It says, why? For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. They were the most well-known people group. Then you have the Kenites, Kenites, and on and on with the other people groups. But God is even able to understand that people groups will sin against him. And he clearly says here that it, their time of sin is not yet complete. The judgment is not going to happen. Oh, my. Boy, does this cast amazing things on who God is, what he owns the people that he created and, and the way that he works. We have to see him today as sovereign. I put up here uh, Psalm 24 and 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It belongs, friends, to him. It's his. And that can really help us and encourage us when we look around and we don't have any idea what's going on. When our hearts are broken and we see sin Oh, that God can work. Oh, that he has a purpose and a plan to press his purposes forward. We can be encouraged with that today, however discouraging the world around us. I mentioned we will see that it is an everlasting covenant. God knows about eternity. There's a lot of jokes about heaven out there, how you get in and what St. Peter says when you get there and who's arriving and what political figure and all those sorts of things. But it's a real question in our hearts. Do we trust God when he talks about eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ, or the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus? Are they truly life-changing for us? Our challenge today, will we follow Jesus as the only in everything, in everything, is Jesus our only way. There it is. I am the way, he says, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the 
is our Lord. He is our master. Just as Abram calls God his master in this passage, Lord God, we know that there is one way to glorify and honor God, and that is through faith and obedience to Jesus Christ. And we don't get the obedience, friends, without the faith. So be encouraged uh, today. Uh, if you do not know Jesus, he knows you. And he loves you, and he would love to uh, establish a relationship today with you, not based on your works, but based on your faith in him, that he died for you, that he took the punishment. He did the work that you maybe you've been trying to do your whole life to impress God. Jesus did the only work that would impress God, which is to, to die in our place. And we don't enter into that promise based on how much we bring to the table. We enter into that promise with nothing in our hands gift of God, grace and faith. Oh, praise God that we can have faith in Jesus. He is elevated in scripture over and over as the promise keeper. Wherever you are, friends, in your life today, let me encourage you. He is still the promise maker and the promise keeper and faith is the way. We'll have a little bit of markers here and there, some blue paint on the trail. We're going to have it. But we may have to trust when we can't figure it out. We may have to turn to him, and maybe today there's a special way, a special circumstance where God is calling you to refresh and to renew that faith. I'm going to ask our musicians to come. We're going to sing a powerful hymn called Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. And while they're coming, I want to lead you in a time of prayer uh, that we may uh, search our hearts and ask our God to move on our behalf. Let's bow. Father, we do love you and praise you, and we thank you for uh, this day and this time in your word. We thank you that you are uh, the one true God, uh, that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and uh, that you make the promises and you keep them. We are glad, uh, God, for your covenant through Christ and his blood. I pray today right now with anybody that, that would respond and say, I don't have anything to bring. All of my works are, are nothing compared to what Jesus did, and I've been trying on my own and so frustrated, and, and I want to put my faith today in Jesus. If that's you, uh, tell God that. I want to put my faith today in Jesus. I want my heart to be new. I want to learn God's word. I, I, I pray, Lord, for forgiveness and help to overcome these sins in my life. Uh, if, you're, if you're telling God to believe that he is saving you from hell forever, he is saving you, uh, maybe not from the earthly consequences of your sin. You may have some of those, but eternal consequences are removed and lifted. Uh, you are different in his eyes, and he is filling you with the power of the Holy Spirit. He has a purpose for your life and gifts to give you so that you can be used and find great meaning.